Welcome to 100% Tilted Discussions with Winning Underdogs. I'm your host, Michael David. And today's guest is uh, an interesting one. With 100% Tilted, what we love to do is hear about the stories that come up, the, the challenges, as well as the victories that you achieve along the way in entrepreneurship and, and being a business owner. In a time where everybody is an entrepreneur, at a time where everybody has an idea of what they want to do, what they lack is real practical insights of how to really do it. Get in the weeds, right? Talk about the pains, talk about the losses, but then talk about the things you are doing right as a result of those lessons that you taste from business ownership, because we all know it's easy, right? Correct. Born in Indiana, a, uh, having an MBA from Purdue in finance and marketing. Yep. Husband, two kids. Two and three. Crazy home. Two and three years old. A, one of the nation's top leading medical, sales, medical device sales reps, as well as a business owner of three Tune Up the Manly Salon locations. Now, in two sentences, it sounds really easy. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nathan Bartlett. Unfortunately, his wife, Kelly, was not able to be here today, but I think he is more than capable of speaking on behalf of both as a team. But, Nate, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm man. excited. I've been looking forward to this. So, uh, right off the bat, let me ask you this. As you're, you're balancing a lot on your plate, like more than probably most people. Spinning everywhere. <laughs> Did you have inspirations of entrepreneurship, business ownership growing up? Yeah. So I grew up in a tiny, tiny town. Um, I think I had 76 kids in my graduating class. <laughs> uh, corn, nothing but flat cornfields all around. My parents owned a small business there. And I mean, from a very young age, they taught us, you know, just an incredible work ethic they used to tell they used to tell us if you want something just go work hard enough to go get it and mm -hmm. they made us truly believe that if we did that we could go get it i mean mm -hmm. i remember probably third fourth grade starting to work for them they had a, a car dealership tiny one small one your um, parents did yeah a little ford dealership it's not there anymore um kind of get ate up by the big ones but mm -hmm. i remember from third grade i mean they used to let me wash cars in the summer when we were in school and they let me choose if I wanted hourly or buy the car. And so their lesson to me was you look, you can go knock them all out in two hours and rack up your, your pay, or you can drag it out and take eight hours and do it hourly. And so they, they would teach us lessons like that on wow. you know, working hard. And um, this will probably date me a little bit, but I think it was somewhere like, $4 an hour or 75 cents a car. And so I chose the 75 cents a car and was in and out of there. But they would they would teach us lessons like that. And a lot of my success, I definitely um, owe to them just from, you know, the humble little small town we grew up in and that yeah. kind of background. In that small town with your parents owning the car dealership, uh, where did that put you kind of in that social class? So... There, I mean, that small town, there is no upper echelon. Mm -hmm. um, everyone is middle class. And, I mean, we might have been a little, I mean, I don't know. We, we weren't much different than anyone else. Yeah. I mean, the business kind of would, I, I felt the pain a little at school 
like you would be like, oh, well, your parents own that. You guys must be loaded. And I was like, no, that's not the case. But <laughs> um, I, I mean, we were middle class, no doubt about it. And my wife, very, very much the same. She grew up in Madison and uh, was the daughter of a Ford mechanic. He's 72 and still is out there pumping every single day. Really? Um, her Wyatt or her mom um, was a nurse tech, which if you know anything about the nursing yeah. world, that's a tough gig. It's mm-hmm. a tough job. They work their butts off and probably aren't paid near as much as they should. But same thing, super uh, humble background. Um, her and her sister worked, you know, incredibly hard at soccer. And mm-hmm. uh, their gift back to their parents for all of the years of travel ball was they both got full rides to Wisconsin. First sister wow, duo to really? play big, big 10 soccer. Yeah, which is no a cool story. They got to play together all through college, which is kind of cool. Holy cow. So on an athletic scholarship. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you ended up going to, you got your, your bachelor's at, uh, at a tech, right? Yeah, Rose Holman. It's a little okay. um, engineering school, private school, small, but super prestigious. They went like the... Number one engineering school, I think they're on like year 32 or something by mm-hmm. U.S. News and World Report, but really small, backcountry Indiana, you know, didn't really. Was it difficult to get into? Yeah, it was. Um, their their acceptance rate's really low, and it's it's also, it was expensive, and I, I turned down a full ride to Purdue academically to go there, and. Uh, no kidding. I did, because I, I just, I had a teacher tell me in high school, and not that this made up my mind, but. They said, oh, you, that's not for you. You can't do that. And my favorite thing ever in my life is if you tell me I can't, look out, man. Watch me. <laughs> the gas is coming on, and I'll do it just to spite you. Like, I, that stuff drives <laughs> it's me. It's a chip on your shoulder, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. So, and that wasn't the only reason I went there. It's just a really, really good school, and I wanted to go conquer it. So. Mm-hmm. Your work ethic uh, coming from, you know, working at the car lot, uh, were the expectations driven from your parents about having to meet certain grades. Um, what was kind of that drive for you through school or were you just self-driven that way? Uh, no, it was, it was both. Um, if I came home with an A minus, there better be a damn good reason why. <laughs> wow. I mean, <laughs> it was both. I demanded that of myself. They certainly mm-hmm. though helped and fostered that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Super high expectations. Were you an athlete in school too? Yeah. What, uh, what high school, not college, but what sports? Yeah. Uh, football, baseball, basketball. Winning teams, like pretty yeah, tight team culture? It was such a small school. We were, yeah. all, we were always up against the bigger. But you, you kind of play all the sports. Yeah, right? right. So it's not like, you know, Houston, they pick one and they do yeah. it year round. Yeah. Ours was, I mean, in football, we didn't even have enough people to field both sides of the ball. So you played both ways, your <laughs> offense and defense. Yeah. And we had, you know, 100-pound kids playing line. <laughs> we didn't have enough. Big kids. I uh, I grew up in Northeast Texas, and there was a family I uh, was really good, great friends with, and their son was going to a little two A school, might have been a one A school actually, and he did all the sports too. And I remember going to a football game one night. Of course, you know the whole town comes from, I mean, Elysian Fields was barely a stop sign, right? And I, the, everybody came out to the football stadium, and I'm sitting there and. I watched their son, Bo, play both sides of the field the entire game. And I remember just thinking, wow, there's not that many players on the field because most of them are on the field. Got to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Which bred an insane work ethic. 
you know, because the whole team, the whole school was depending on you to show up, right? Do you think that was a big part for you in that small town that, in a small town, everybody knows what you're doing. They all know your business. But then does that also kind of drive a trigger of, and I, I got to watch my shit. They might tell dad um, or I don't want to look bad personally. No, I didn't really care about that. And to be honest, I still don't. I, I personally hated that side. Like mm-hmm. there are many positives we talked have talked about to a small town, that part. Yeah. And the, everyone knows you're, I hate it. I still hate it. I hated it then. Um, I can remember one time sitting in a class and it was right near the drop off. And my mom rolled up in a, like an explorer or something. And the teacher made the comment in front of the whole class, like, must be nice. Your parents get to drive a new car. And I was like, like, who does that? Like that stuff drives me <laughs> crazy. So the must I, be nice comment makes my blood boil. Yeah. It's like, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't make you be a teacher. That was your decision. Like you, you could have done anything. You you chose to do what you want to do, and if you don't like it, then you know make a change. But don't belittle a sixteen year old in front of his peers because you know his parents have whatever career they decided to. Yeah. So that the small town stuff, I, I promised my kids they would never. And, and I'm sure they're young, but they're going to have their own problems with whatever school they go to. But mm-hmm. did you did you get a car when you were sixteen? Sure did. And guess who paid for every penny of it? Really? Yeah, they all all of my siblings and I. You'd think a car dealership's kid, right? Go pick. Yeah, not so much. Use get car. Get take a demo, right? Yeah, use car, and they made my brother, sister, and I pay for our first car, every penny of it. How much was that car you bought? Your first car? It's a great question. I think it was a nineteen ninety six Ford Mustang. It was probably four grand. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. know five grand. Something like that. I don't. How did you, how did you accumulate four grand at sixteen years old? Uh, the the lot, and then I worked in the summers at a marina. That's, so a, that's a, a lot of seventy five cent cars. Boats, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I worked at a marina in the summer. So, wow. Yeah. Did you also work when you were going to school? Like in the evenings, did you go work at the lot or on the weekends? Um, no, with sports and mm-hmm. academics, um, they didn't make us work during school. Um, and that, and I think that was wise. I mean, the f- focus was more on making sure your academics were good, which, mm-hmm. you know, kudos to them for seeing the longer term benefit there. Mm-hmm. So when you, uh, first of all, what made you decide to get a master's? Did you jump right from bachelor's to master's? I did, which is for an MBA is really rare. Like most people will go work a few years, mm-hmm. go back and there's goods and bads to both. Um, for me, engineering, like I did fine at it. But I took a job out in California for a few months, and the lab was like, it was like a cubicle, and it just wasn't my gig. It's like, you know, I, I can't sit in this cubicle for the next 50 years or whatever. Like, it just isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, and by then, I had developed, like, started to develop a passion, I think, for seeing people succeed in business. And so I was like, you know, I went and took all these math and science classes. I missed that entire piece. Like, I need to go back to the table and uh, pick up a little bit of knowledge in that. And so I went right right from undergrad right back and was like, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm not going to go waste three years of my life. Like, I know that's not it. Let's go fix it. Was there a, a kind of a precipice where you were getting your undergrad and you're like, this isn't, in, this may not be for me? Did you kind of have that taste like in your gut? Like, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be the right route. 
Yeah, and it, but it was towards the end where it was too late, you know. <laughs> like, well, Plus I got to finish I went, now. <laughs> I went to that small school, and that's all they had was yeah. engineering. So there yeah. was no switching. Um, and, and I don't regret it at all. I mean, if anything, those four years taught me, like, the problem-solving process. Like, there is no mm-hmm. problem that you can't fix, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what engineering is all about is mm-hmm. having a process of fixing problems. So I, I don't regret it at all. After you got your master's, um, what, what was your next step after that? Um, I went to work for a company called Stryker. Um, place changed my life for sure. Uh, my first two years there, I was in marketing, but it was pretty much a sales um, support, like an associate, where for two years I did airplanes and hotels and went and helped reps all across the country, um, learned the business. I, I had traveled very little at that point. So it was awesome, man. I got that was a dope job. American Express, man. Yeah. Travel the country, <laughs> you know, Delta Diamond, first class, <laughs> all that stuff. It was cool. And then after two years, it was very not fun sleeping in hotels six nights a Mid-20s. week. Mid-20s? Um, yeah, 20. I think I started there at 23 or 24. Wow, man. So it was fun. I mean, I got to go to Amsterdam, Dubai. Like, that place was super cool, super cool job. And then... After two years of that, you kind of put in your time, um, make nothing, but you get all travel perks. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they asked me, do you want to move to Houston? I was like, yes. We'd get, it was in Michigan at the time. I lived in Kalamazoo, and we'd get dumped on two feet overnight of snow, like just get me out of here, man. (laughs) So Houston was perfect. Big city, warm, awesome medical district. So took a job down here. We had very little business. Um, I this think was with Stryker? With Stryker, yep. We, at the time, I think we had one hospital system in the area. Um, not a ton. And six years later when I left, it was a $12 million market. So, and, and it's, Stryker is a, Stryker is like right up my alley. It's all risk, um, huge, huge risk, but a ton of reward. You and put in your time. So it's 100% commission. So okay. in sales, you can go get a job that pays a base plus commission and it's super cushion safe. And this is not that. This mm-hmm. is, they don't bother you. They expect you're out doing your thing. But the, if you don't, you're not getting paid. So you're not going to last anyways. Mm-hmm. But when you put in the work and succeed, it's incredibly rewarding. So, and that single six, seven year period of my life uh, changed my life for sure for the foreseeable future. I met Kelly there. So she did the same job. She worked at Stryker? Yeah. So really? That's where we met. Yep. Okay. Did two years long distance before she moved to, Ouch, to yeah. Texas, which mm-hmm. we done that. We kept, uh, at the time, we kept Spirit and <laughs> the other low cost airlines <laughs> yeah. in, in business for a couple of years. So. Flying first on company money, but. <laughs> well, by then, yeah, it was personal. So yeah. it's back to wow. cheap flights. Where was she living at that time? Madison. Yeah. How did you guys even meet? At a sales meeting. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was it in a mixture like, hey, what's your name? What's your market? And then it just, you were like, oh, hey there, what's up? Yeah, actually, funny story. <laughs> we were at a bar after like the day's worth of meetings, and I had kind of, you know, I'd kind of seen her around. And so, <laughs> so um, I literally bought her two Coronas and said, here you go. My name's Nate. Let's let's chat, and from there it's history. 
So after that, because uh, I love the relationship piece of this, um, and you guys went back to your markets. Did you touch out? Did you reach out to her? Yeah. Um, You're she, like, I'm not gonna let this one go. Yeah, and she had just gone through a divorce, and she she has. We have a nine year old too. Um, that's from her previous marriage, and so it made it tough, right? Like that's tough dynamics yeah. halfway across the country with the nine or at the time he was two. And, uh, but I was like, she's the one I don't want to, you know, we'll really put in the word. Like you knew and, like that th- yeah. she's it. Yep. Huh. Yep. People talk about that unless you ever experience that. That's it. It's hard to articulate. Right. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, you date, you go into different relationships. Sometimes you get married, but you know, it's not, it right yeah kind of going through the motions uh-huh yeah you kind of checking off the boxes emotionally the eq part well we've been together this long and well we we like this and but then once you feel it you never yeah forget it that's yeah you know that's it and you kind of don't want to waste time right it's like what what are we do, what are we doing here prolonging the inevitable right because you both feel it she felt it too right mm-hmm well, of course. I mean, look at you. I mean, you're not you're not hard in the eyes here. Nate. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'll tell you what. Two kids, Amen. two Irish twins, two and three. The days oh. of the gym and all that. Long oh. gone. <laughs> man, daddy's got his hands full. Yeah. So how long were you working? Because you, you're not still with Stryker, right? No. So I'm with um, Cardinal Health now. Still medical field. A little less, um, so we talked about the kind of high risk, high reward part mm-hmm. with kids and a family, and our life is very different now than when I was single at 25 and could work 16 <laughs> hours a day. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is a little more, you know, get a base, kind of low commission, but it's a great job, just, you know, not out there slaying it like the striker days, but mm-hmm. I'm super happy, great family life, work balance. I, I could not have had it two and three year old and done that job properly. So, mm-hmm. okay. So let's step into this. Cause I, I think you just, you kind of set the precedent here. Work-life balance as a career and as a family, but then what in the hell made you go or you and Kayla both go, you know, let's, let, let's, let's start our own business. Right. Yep. Because clearly the, the time involved, uh, you go from where you have this manageable life with two careers, starting a family, and then go, hmm, let's do, let's do a, let's do a business of our own. How did that conversation, how did that even come about? Part of it, I will tell you, probably to a fault, I always have to have a project. Like, <laughs> I can't ever I feel you on sit that. Yeah. and just do a regular wake up, go to work. Yeah pick up the kids, come home. Like I'm not, I'm not satisfied unless I'm out like doing some sort of like project as it relates to like bettering our family, bettering our lives. And, and so if I get comfortable, I get bored. Mm -hmm. And so Kelly and I were like, let's go do something, you know, we're corporate America probably will be for a while, but let's put something in where it's ours and we're not working for 18 layers above us and you know Mm -hmm. when we go to work or we put some time into something it's literally we're working for ourselves Mm -hmm. we wanted that pride and satisfaction like renting versus owning totally yeah and you know 
corporate America is great. It gives you a lot of great benefits and everything else, but it's never truly yours. And trust me, the day you leave, they think about it for no less than two seconds. And tomorrow someone else is there to take your spot. So, mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, it's how it is. And we wanted something that we could truly call ours. And to be honest, we looked for a long time. We looked all across the board, all sorts of different franchise opportunities. What could we do? I mean, we applied to Chick-fil-A and we're told we weren't religious enough. I mean, we looked. What? Yeah. Are you serious? Absolutely. Right back in the response. You know, we didn't go to church enough for Chick-fil-A. So. Wow. Um, I am shocked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we looked for a long time, probably a couple of years. And I'll never forget this. We were driving down I-45 and saw the Cypress Wood store. We're like, that's a cool logo. Oh, for tune-up? Yeah. yeah. We're like, what is that place? So we went in. We're like, we knew it. Same when I met Kelly. We both walked in and literally looked at each other and said, that's it. We knew right away. Right away. It was super clean in there, different, unique, original. Like, it's hard to find a business idea that's not kind of copycatted, I think. Yeah. And it was original, man. It was a different like, mousetrap. Totally. Yeah. And you know what? As we dug into it more, I love getting my haircut. I always have. I'm a two week guy. Like it's just, I shut my phone off and just relax. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you got a you got a high and tight. Yeah, going. I did it on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> I stopped on the way. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was a little shaggy, so I was like, I need to get that. I can't go to a tune up interview <laughs> with a shaggy head of hair. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, but there's there was a hole in the market, so. I would bounce back from one of the big national brands that I despise sitting in the waiting room. You're always rushed. You felt bad for the stylist because you know they're getting paid to just go as insanely fast as possible. And I hate yeah. that because I enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to a women's salon and that wasn't really it either. Next to the bathroom, it's about the only time guys have to just kind of be by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, I always like, there was this huge hole in the market and I probably didn't consciously think about it until we started digging into this really that's it and that's a mm -hmm. great filler for guys that want to go in not be rushed I'm not gonna lie the bar is also super fun and cool if i'm gonna wait for anything it's better with the beer in my hand than, yeah than watching a kid run around with suckers and listen to sports center reruns <laughs> for 50 times you know yeah so yeah. it just it checked all the boxes uh for us and we knew, we didn't even have to think about it. We're like, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Um, mm. And so we kind of bought up a whole area. We were like, we're not even just doing one. One is not good. We just get this area. Mm -hmm. So so for our listeners to get a little context with Nate and Kelly as owners of three Tune the Manly Salons, you guys uh, invested into a region. Uh, historically over the company, uh, because tune up the Manly Salon is one of our brands within Tilted Concepts. You guys now have three locations, uh, on the Northeast side of Houston. You have Atascacita, you have Umble and New Caney, uh, New Caney, which actually I'm a customer yep. of, right? Uh, my son Close lives to home. Yeah. It, right in my backyard. Um, you guys consistently, all three of your locations, and this is, this is the part that I really want to peel back. You guys are always not only in the top 10, typically the top five when it comes to gross sales. You guys also have the highest retention when it comes to staff and customers 
your sentiment score on social is off the chart. You guys, every time I go into uh, the Valley Ranch location, your team is tight. And so when you, and of course, people that go to Valley or they go to Fall Creek or Atascosa, they go to Humble, it's the same type of sentiment. So in a business where there's 50 plus locations around the country, and you guys not only have one, but three, both a full-time career, married, three kids. What the hell is your secret sauce, Nate? Like, and, I, and I say that legitimately because there are, I think there's a lot of things at play here, right, that, that create that ingredient list to create a winning location, yet still balance all of us together. Because in entrepreneurship, it, it, there literally is no balance because you... You have to you have to sacrifice some things to be able to go all, go all in on some others, but to be able to, to and, and consistently have that tight culture with your team and your customers, and I've sat in there and waited, and I've seen the customers where they hang out. Uh, everybody knows all the even the customers know each other, right? It's a real communal feel where I mean, literally, I feel like we put the bar back in barbershop, right? Yep. That local cheers kind of norm, totally. kind of thing, right? But you guys saw this concept and you felt like there was a way to do this. And so I'm really curious, looking into this now three stores later, the assumption of what it could be versus what it is now, is it everything you knew that it could become? Or were there a lot of lessons, a lot of things like, uh, we need to do it this way, this is going to work better, kind of help us, me understand and us understand yeah. really what has been the success ingredients for you guys in your three locations? So first, and that was a there, huge question, by the way, there were a ton of lessons. Um, we knew first and foremost, what I think my wife and I have as a skill set is how to provide customer service, take people, take care of people like to the oomph degree. I mean, mm -hmm. in our corporate world, there's a lot of competition and you got to answer your phone when your customers call, you got to, you know, go to the ends of the earth to make them happy. And I think that spills over really nicely. Like we get that piece. What we didn't have any clue on was the barbershop world stylist, you know, that, that was all new to us. Um, so, and that is a unique industry. It is unique with personalities <laughs> and there's no right or wrong, but, not only is it unique, it's way different culturally from corporate America. Like mm -hmm. it couldn't be further apart. Mm -hmm. um, and so that part, you know, we had tough lessons. Uh, I think, you know, the first six months at any store, and we've gotten better, but I'd say if it's your 20th store, your first six months are going to be tough. You'll probably after six months, maybe have one or two people that you started with because getting the right people, I think is just with your staff. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's key and they have to mesh with you and you have to mesh with them and you got to find the right people where, you know, Kelly, I, we aren't in the stores every day. We're not, we empower, you know, we hire the right people and empower them to go run it. Um, and without that, I think it fails. How do you maintain, uh, that leadership momentum? Because Leadership, it gets diluted as it goes down, right? Just is what it is. Yep. And so you have to find the right people that are a little maybe more entrepreneurial 
little more they take that empowerment. But you do have to have close communication, right? You can't just like let the stores run themselves. No. So how do you how do you do that with your like your your salon managers? Yeah. So I think that first you you got to find what's more important to me when it comes to a manager is they need to check all the boxes um, from a technical standpoint. Right. But I I don't care if they're the best stylist or barber in the house. I, I really don't. That's at that point, I'm not even looking at that, mm. but culturally we're really picky on who we pick. Um, they're the face of the store. Uh, they need to mesh well with us. Um, probably the biggest thing I look at is how do they interact with customers? Mm-hmm. You know, how are they personal? I mean, you can't have somebody in there that you know, can't communicate or talk to customers or make them feel special. Like I want to see them when they, when someone walks out of the door, they're thinking to themselves, wow, Ashley at Valley Ranch, like she just makes me feel good about myself. And like, you can't teach that. And, and she s- does, by the way, she does. She's a freaking rock star. She's amazing. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like, but we didn't teach her that. Like mm-hmm. we f- try and find people that have that. And I believe you either have it or you don't. And mm-hmm. it's not for everyone. Um, but culturally, I think our team, we talk to our teams all, all the time about this. We have minimum standards that if you can't cut hair, then you don't belong here, but we expect that. And, you know, yes, you got to be here on time. And those things though, are just, that's on the side. Our bigger focus with our teams, when we go talk to them is culture. You know, when you walk in the store, does it feel fun? Like, are you guys having fun with each other? Not just customers. Because if, if the stylists aren't getting along, even if they're not out loud speaking, they're not getting along, you can feel it, right? When, when was the last time you went into a business and you're like, dude, these people hate their jobs. Mm-hmm. And they may not come out, and they may not have come out and said it, but you feel it, you know? And like, we pick up on that and we try everything we can. And I think one of the hard lessons at the beginning, we would try and salvage it. Even if Kelly and I would go home and we'd say, it's just not working, but let's let's see how it plays out. We don't do that anymore. If if it's not working, we literally will just right there, done. Cut cut the bad limb off and move on. Like mm-hmm. we just have learned, like trust your gut. Mm-hmm. If you feel it's not working, it's not going to get better in three months, six months. Like had now it cre- and you can go two ways with the culture of this, and I, I and I'm curious how you manage that and mitigate fear if somebody feels like oh my god like i might get fired it creates a different sentiment with people like they start holding on too tight yeah. but your your culture and your stores are very loose right and, and the teams do get along i mean you, you deal with your personality differences yeah. and whatnot but overall how do you uh swiftly swing that axe without creating a hostile questionable insecure yeah. culture so w- when i say we make a change immediately i'm not i wasn't referring to firing someone i mean certainly we've had to do that like any yeah. other business. Um, but back to Stryker, we were ingrained, Kelly and I both, in um, the Strength Finder. And if you are mm. a business reader, you've probably heard of it, or the, it's called mm. the Clifton Strength Finder. And I love it. Um, most people would think, like, if you go into a, a review with your boss, like, the traditional thing was, what do you need to work on? Mm. This throws that out the window. It's, okay, so... Based on the string finder, what are you good at? What you're not good at, let's ignore, but let's put you somewhere 
that those things you are good at, you get to do as much as possible while you're at work every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that kind of has, that was ingrained to us at Stryker, and we have certainly brought that along. So if we have someone where maybe they're not a manager, you know, and that's not their fit, but they're really good, then we'll slide them into a position where they can take those strings and excel. And we've done it, and we've had them come back to us two months later where they might have been like, didn't want to make a change. And they'll say, we have never been happier. Like, thank you. I'm so much, you know, happier at night. I don't have all this other stuff I got to worry about. All I got to do is go in and do what I'm good at. And so when it comes to our team, um, we try to put them all in a position to win based on their strengths. You hear that a lot, lean in your strengths, right? Because then you'll end up doing things you feel a little more confident about. um, And you have a little bit more passion for it versus always seem like you're going against the grain. No one wants to do something they don't like or aren't good at or Mm -hmm. which there, you know, there's not a whole lot of varying positions in a tune up. I mean, you've got your manager, your assistant manager, your, your bartender, maybe your stylist and barbers right now with having three locations, um, there might have other within a, within a multi-unit owner, maybe like a GM role. They, you know, there's opportunity, right? But, in the weeds, do you do like a weekly meeting with your team? Do you check on by the phone with your salon manager on a daily basis? Do you put in certain goals they have to meet? So a huge part of our success the last three years has been um, my sister is kind of... Stephanie, right? Stephanie, yeah. yep. She is the manager over all three stores. Um, and that has just been incredibly valuable to us mm there's no better feeling than going to bed at night knowing like a family member is deeply involved. Like I'm not worrying about, you know, are the doors getting locked at night? Is the money taken care of? Like, <laughs> right. you know, it's your sister. Like who else, yeah. if you can't trust her, then. Did she move down to, to come and work with you guys? Yeah, she did. She really? moved from Indiana and started wow. with us a couple months later. Little sister, big sister, little, little sister. Yeah. Did you ask her to come or did she asked to come? We, we, her and I for a long time had talked about, I'm going to open a salon for you and you can go run it. And <laughs> really, yeah, really. <laughs> this was pre tune up, pre tune up. No um, it was something her and I had talked about for a long time and it was cool. We got to kind of fulfill that. That's cool. Yeah. She was a cosmetologist and I was like, why don't we open a salon and you can just run it. So, so when you guys didn't get into tune up, did you let her know when you got it or was this after you had had one open? Oh no, no, no. I mean, we're, Super close. She knew right from day one. I was mm-hmm. like, you're going to love this. Did she pack up the car and head down? <laughs> I don't remember. I, I think it was a, a minute, but. <laughs> I'm there. Yeah. So with your management and within a salon that, you know, there's there's sales goals and certain things you meet that help correlate between the success of a store financially, um, which creates an opportunity for job security. You, you do a great job. Customers love you. They request you. That's job security, right? How do you guys cultivate that within your team to where they're meeting expectations and growing and pushing themselves a little bit while also feeling um, accountable to that, Yeah. right, as a professional in what they do? So I'll mix the answer to that and your last question of what are our touch points, like weekly or monthly. Yeah. So every month um, we need to do better. COVID kind of threw us for loop, but we used to, like, every month, the managers would get an email from me and it would vary 
um, depending on what I felt that store was maybe lacking or something they needed to focus on. Maybe their VIPs had dropped to 45. And at the beginning of the month, we'd go over their previous month's numbers. And then I'd say, okay, this month your goals are X. If you hit two of the three, here's a spiff. Um, if you hit three of three, here's a bigger spiff. Um, another thing Kelly and I believe in is you have to reward behavior you want to drive. Um, and so if we... That was well put. Yeah, if, if we need VIPs to 55 and they're at 45, throw some money on the table and you'll be surprised. Like people respond and everyone um, has, you know, their own motivations and drives and certainly money's not for everyone. Some people are recognition driven. Some people are money driven. And so that's another piece. You can't throw money at somebody for a spiff if all they want is you to send an email to the team or a text message saying you know, this person, thank you for what you did today. That's worth more to some people than some bonus, you right. know? And yeah. so you got to know your people well enough and, and how they tick. Um, but so we use that. So every month we touch base with them and um, we, we hold a contest every year, every month. And we get from corporate where our three stores are. Mm-hmm. And our team, it's very um, out in the open. Like if you're last, you're going to know it. If you're mm-hmm. first, you're going to know it, but then you're going to know my second store is also coming for you. So you can't let off the gas. <laughs> so we yeah. we're really competitive and mm-hmm. we try to push that down. Um, and they have a lot of fun with it. Before COVID, we would have a tracker and we, we ended up at one, two and seven. And our team is just, that was like every, towards the end of the year, every week, they'd be like, what is it? What is it? What is it? Where are we? Where are we? And I think, you know, that that drives competitiveness and growth and makes them, you know, want to fight for something. I mean, we Kelly and I love to win. We don't like to lose. And and we try and, you know, instill that in our team. And that comes from, I, I, you know, what I've always loved and I've seen to have seen correlate successful entrepreneurs and business owners. I have found there's one common thread at some point, usually younger. They were competitive athletes. Like it's a real binary effort. Like if you don't put in the work, you don't train and you don't show up, you're not prepared, you don't compete, you don't compete to win. What are you really doing? Right. Right. Because yep. That's part of that challenge as an entrepreneur uh, that in, it's either going to ignite in some people or either they're just avoiding because I don't want to put in the work. Right. I, I've always believed everybody's an entrepreneur at the heart. No matter if you're in a cubicle or you own a business, but I don't think you have to own a business to be an entrepreneur because the core of an entrepreneur is being a problem solver. And you can be an entrepreneur, you know, whatever your job is, if, if your job is a stylist barber, you are the CEO of that area. That's your space. And that's your all franchise. Buck stops with you. That's right. And if you, and I, I've always believed and felt that if people shifted their mentality from clocking in, clocking out, just doing the day to where, no, I own this. This is my business. And every customer I have if I don't earn their loyalty and their business today, I could lose it, which means I lose my business, which means you lose your ability to pay rent, go eat. Like if you look at it at that binary level, I always feel like people would be way more successful and less likely to have to be managed. Yep. Incentivized, but not managed. Not managed. From the, from the, the people pickle. There's definitely right? a difference, yeah. We try and find people that, I mean, we're not babysitters. This is... How do you vet that in your, in your interview process? Do you look for certain cues? Do you do them like have them do like personality tests? No, or? we don't. No, nothing formal like a personality test. Um, Kelly and I meet 
every single person still. Do you really? Um, before they're hired or Before after? they're hired. So yeah. um, the managers do a first round. Okay. And they weed out. Mm-hmm. The, you know, they, they put them through their process. And then if they want to hire somebody, then they still to this day. And so every single one of our employees um, meets with Kelly and I before. And wow. we're very clear on expectations. Um, we tell them, you know, our, our black and white, these are not allowed. Um, this is a fun place. We want you to have fun, but you know, at the end of the day, like these are our expectations and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But mm. you know, no one right from the get go. I talked to the owners. This is what their expectations are. And mm-hmm. so I think it's really important. One, one thing I'll, I'll get calls from people looking to, you know, get into the business or start a franchise. And my answer is the same every single time. If you're treating this as a stock and you're going to buy it and walk away and hope it grows, like, go do something else. Like this is not a stock. This is involved. Like you have to be involved and people are different levels. Like some owners are actual stylists and they work in there every day. Um, some are like Kelly and I, where we have other jobs, but to some degree, if, if you're not involved, it's, and, and I, I would say that for anything, right? Like it's not just tune up. It's anything you want to see succeed. Yeah. I mean, if you have a business that's customer facing and you're in the customer service business, you can't just expect it to do its own thing. Right. You have to be involved. In that first round, because I think for a lot of uh, business owners, where they you know have their management and they're they're doing first level interviews and things, what are some of the? Have you guided them in how to interview to to begin to weed through? Like, what are some of the questions or what are things that you've guided them to look for? You know, because we're talking about barbers and stylists and bartenders and you know they're they're the face of the company. Right. They're the ones that set the temperament with a customer when they walk in, you know, and which I've always felt was kind of switched many times where the ones in the trenches, I've always felt like were almost the ones that most overlooked. But yet they're the face of the company. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that shake hands with the customer. Absolutely. Right? Um, it's been fun to watch that because what I've seen is. As time goes on. Our core team members, you know, the ones that stay longer, it gets tighter and tighter and they're long they're longer and longer and so we've we don't have to really teach them anymore by now we have a team that is very in tune with kelly and i and so if we do hire somebody they they know by now like they know our culture what we want what we look for and it just over time we've helped foster that i think where everyone feels safe and comfortable knowing like this is the tune-up culture working for nate and kelly and and it's fun because our managers, they've been there long enough, like, they know. Mm-hmm. They know, like, if she she or he comes in and says, you know, I, what's your biggest fault? Well, sometimes I, I like to sleep in. I'm like, dude, no. Like, <laughs> Nate doesn't do late, so <laughs> yeah. that's not going to work. Nate doesn't do late. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but, they, I, you know, it's been fun because at the beginning, we it was harder because they didn't know us as well. And yeah. so it's it's awesome to see now that we're three-plus years into this and, I love that about our teams. I think in the stylist world, there's a lot of movement on mm-hmm. jumping from one place to the other. And I told Kelly when we started, I just, I want to, I want these people to be like our family and not be a revolving door. And to watch that happen has been really cool. Cause that is typical. Yeah. Like a very people hop a lot, a lot. And, you know, even customers do that, right? I, what I've believed about the customer relationship, and I think you can definitely agree with this, 
At least I, I think you might. When a customer feels appreciated, they feel like they're value, especially in a local community business, if they feel like they matter and that their dollar they're giving is almost like they're investing into the cause of a small business or to the person that they're getting to know in the business, whether it be the cashier, the stylist, the bartender, whatever it may be, the more loyalty that you earn, they're more likely to forgive the one bad haircut they get or the day they have to wait a little bit longer than what wait they're used longer, to. Yeah. Because, you know, as you know, the, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Uh, love covers a multitude of sins, right? When you really f are loyal to something and they're not loyal to a brand, they're loyal to the people in the brand that they've gotten to know. And how they feel when they're in your store. Because that's, that's what they remember. how they feel. That's right. You know, it, when we get somebody that's unhappy with a haircut, nine times out of 10 when we call them, it's not the haircut they're actually mad about. Mm. It was something else that I had to wait too long. And then mm. if it's not absolutely perfect, then they're, you know, then we're hearing about it. But nine times out of 10, when we dig into something, it it's something else than what they actually tell us. Mm -hmm. So you're spot on. I, I agree. With, with your team and with creating that family atmosphere, what kind of things do you guys do beyond the monetary part of the business that fosters that, you know, if you end up in the foxhole, you're going to end up best friends, right? When you got to go to work together, you become best friends. How do you create that culture within your stores? Because you've got different teams at different stores, different community, different feel. But anytime I ever talk to Ashley, if you talk about Fall Creek or Humble, it's like you're talking about her best friends. Like there's this sentiment within each other. Yeah. And that doesn't come from just, you know, show up today, we'll pay you, you meet this incentive, we'll pay you. What do you guys do to create that? Dude, I want to know your secrets, bro. <laughs> like, I'm trying to peel this back. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can answer. I don't know. Really? I mean, we, Is it pizza parties? No. Is it like showing up to weddings? Is no. it like? No, I mean, we certainly will have, you know, get togethers, like you know, a holiday party or um, different things. But number one, it's, I think sometimes those, if it feels forced, mm -hmm. it's not genuine. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, our teams are, they're friends outside of work I mean, they're mm -hmm. always seeing on Facebook or whatever, mm -hmm. getting together after work. I mean, yeah. they hang out. I, the only way I can answer your question is I think creating that culture that we just think is the utmost important, like more important than skill and stylus to give our customers feeling overflows into our teams where by putting the right teams in place, they're naturally going to get along. Right. Cause they all have the same values and they, mm -hmm. they want to feel the same way and they're driven and motivated and they don't have to worry on a Saturday that we hired three people that aren't holding up their end of the bargain and making me work harder because we, we hire the same people that are driven and, and want to help provide that team um, culture. I, I don't know. I'm kind of dancing around, but I think I, it's consistency, I, Nate. I don't know how to really answer your question other than, I mean, just the culture. The culture is so important to us. When people feel valued, that that's kind of an intrinsic thing because there's a lot of things that create that. It's a sense of feeling safe right in an environment where most people go to work and they kind of feel like their job is always on the line, um, which creates from hostile and, and people that are in management that are not in leadership, right? People that are in management that are fostered to be good leaders is completely different because leadership is ownership, 
right? Leadership is going, you're not doing well, but what did I do to set you up to not be in this right. level? You should be better, which is on me, right? That's that Jocko Willink extreme ownership approach, which I actually talked to um, one of their guys that works at Origin Manufacturing that makes all of Jocko's stuff, does his drinks and all that. And I asked him, I said, quite frankly, when you have a company that, you know, Jocko partly owns that was around before Jocko, right? Um, when Jocko came in, how did that change the attitude of the organization? He goes, honestly, not much. Because a lot of them are veterans anyway. He goes, but we all operate that way. Uh, but he goes, now it's way more heightened that whenever they hire people, uh, the expectation is you want, you own everything you do. He, and he goes, literally, if something happens and it goes wrong, three people say it's my fault. That's great. It's good atmosphere, good culture. I bet they don't have a lot of turnover. They don't. They probably have a lot of great employees. Yeah. But within tune-up, when, you, when you're having a group of people that are, let me help you, right? Uh, my son was getting a cut at your Valley Ranch location, and the stylist was having a little hard time with doing this, doing this fade. And she walked over and I think she actually asked, asked Ashley, I think, Ashley, can you help me? Boom. I mean, she was helping a customer came over, but I saw Ashley help two or three people like, and, and I, but every time I'm in there, I notice there's a lot of back and forth. There's not, I can't ask, or there's an, or there's not, I won't help you. Yep. There is so much camaraderie that that leadership, Nate, has got to come, attitudes reflective of leadership, hands down. And you guys have found a way to communicate that with your managers that also deploy that in how they communicate, how they treat their team. Not, I've got the keys, I'm your boss, you do what I say. But it's it, there's a legitimate way that you guys have done that with your salon managers. So one thing we talk about in, when we meet someone for the final interview is we tell them, like, we, Kelly and I have tons of stuff we need to get better at and we can always learn. And we firmly believe that, that no matter how good you are at something, you can always do better and you can improve your craft. And we tell them like, when you come here, this isn't a, well, I've been cutting for 30 years. I don't need any help. Well, yeah. What if, you know, someone across the table may have a skill that you've never seen before. So we tell them, you know, this is collaborative. This is not, you know, if you're unwilling to learn a new skill, our stores are probably not the, the right place for you. We, we foster that um, teamwork of where, you know, if one stylist is great at it, they'll hold a class um, before mm. we open. And, and we really tell them, like, please be open-minded um, because I think in the stylist world, what we've learned is people will come in and they've only done something one way. And sometimes, not everyone, sometimes it can be difficult to get them to be open and change. So when we are talking to them, you know, we try and set the expectation that here it's okay. It's safe. Like if you don't feel great at this, like ask, be open, you know, we want you to get better, you know, at whatever it is that you feel like you may need to improve on. Mm -hmm. Now we've talked about the operational side. I'm curious about the customer side because there's, there's a couple of things that I'm really curious about with you getting how you guys operate. I know, you know, this is coming, <laughs> but your success too, with numbers still proves that your, your marketing strategies are, are on point. When you have three of the most successful, uh, net net stores in the company, um, what's that driving force to, to maximize that? Cause do you look at it going, okay, we can do more. And then how do we do it? Because the marketing piece for me is interesting because you guys don't, do coupons, you don't do incentives. 
And so, and I know, I know where that comes from, but how do you grow your locations when you don't incentivize to drive more business? Cause I'm like, cause I know yeah. a lot of business owners want to know, how do I grow my business locally without losing my margin to help me be healthy and profitable? So our stance on, on that is we truly in our heart of hearts believe the value at a tune-up is awesome. Um, you can go to any other chain and for the same service, you're within a couple of dollars, mm-hmm. one or two dollars. And at our stores, you get two free drinks at anywhere in the city or seven dollar drafts or a cocktail, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I 20 think at it, the ballpark. Yeah, right. Yeah, no kidding. Well, <laughs> well, wait, if you could go, <laughs> wait, wait, wait till it opens back up again. They haven't got that revenue for a year and a half. Yeah. You're going to be paying $50 a beer, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, so I don't. I hesitate whenever I see a business try and market me on a coupon or come in today, it's free. It worries me that why do they have to do that? Mm-hmm. Why are they having to give me a free thing? Is it really not that good? Um, I think our value stands on itself and I don't think it's necessary. And I think it, it can at sometimes harm your, harm your image. Mm. Um, so, so how do you how do you how do you market your locations? I wish Kelly was here. She is like a Facebook guru. That's kind of her department. So social media, social media. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie to you. It's not my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. So, it's not mine either. It's just not. But it's my where favorite. attention is. It, so when we started this, you guys told us the number one way of marketing will be through Facebook, and I went home and told guys, no way. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't have been truer. I mean, it is. It's unbelievable, but it is. It matters. It drives results. Um, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. It, it can be very negative or it can be very positive, and it's worth attention for sure. I, you know, I've been at this game 25 years, right, in marketing. And when social media came around, I saw how our world became smaller when we're connected, but I also saw the power shift from big budget dollars of big brands that can now just spend on branding and emotion all the time is that you never seen Budweiser advertise a sale in a six pack, right? They do the, they do the feels, right? My favorite commercial of all time is still the Budweiser commercials for Super Bowl when it was nothing more than soldiers walking to the airport, people applauded. And then at the powerful end, Budweiser, but it, it was emotion you, makes you feel something, right? When right. you watch it, you feel that emotion. And that's what social media I realized gave to the small business because you, you could connect within your community and also it created a way to make it way more personable, way more local. And it also gave you a way to give your staff visibility and a part of some recognition and yeah, as well as customers. Yeah. It changed the thread of the sentiment of what we had access to. It's super powerful. You don't have to spend a dime to do it. No. One thing we try to do, with our stores on social media, Facebook is instead of using like a standard image mm-hmm. from four years ago when <clears throat> TuneUp was started, you know, we try and as much as possible use our actual people mm-hmm. that work there, mm-hmm. you know, and not some just marketing image we pulled off the internet somewhere. We try and really put that yeah. um, local home feeling. Oh, that's Ashley in that picture, mm-hmm. and that's Kayla. You know, I know them. Mm-hmm. I think it, 
allows you to connect a little better. Hands down. That's one of the, the elements that um, you look at the stores that are just kicking ass, right? And there's a lot of these things at play that are consistent, social, that's hyper-local, right? It's heart. And I've always, I've always believed, and especially in sales, uh, people can buy what it is you're slinging from a lot of different options, a lot of different competitors, but why do they need to do it with you? It's the relationship. It's the heart. It's the people part. Yep. Right? That is the differentiator. It, it's actions that back up with heart. You're going to win. When, you, when we go back, sometimes we'll go back and look at our posts and we'll evaluate them and say, okay, which ones did well? Which ones didn't get any likes? And every single time the winner is our actual employees doing something fun or, yeah. you know, it's, it's our real people mm-hmm. every single time. Mm-hmm. And that's for the public to see. I mean, you can go back and look at our, the number of likes correlates to how are we portraying our actual employees and, and putting them in, in the limelight for sure. People get a chance to see, is this a place I'm going to actually enjoy before, without even having to walk in there. Now, they, they'll use reviews if that's all there is, right? But people want, that's why there's the option to look at the, the pictures of the business on Google. Because what's this place really, what's it look like? Are the tables clean? Like, there's all these subconscious factors we look at. And the more that we can give them, the more we're setting our own business apart from the competitor who just does a hit it and quit it. Yep. Here's, here's my page, here's a post, and, you know, see ya. Right? Because we're It's awesome. not genuine. It's not heartfelt. Maybe they're corporate, like push it down to all 5,000 yeah. stores. And then it's like, like, don't send me an email and put, hi, Nate, when it's coming from this <laughs> mass media thing. Yeah. Like, that's an instant delete for me. Yeah. Well, you know, a, as we've come through so much uh, as businesses and you look at the ones that take the time to be authentic and human, not copy paste, of course, the algorithms see that, but the customer sees the heart. Right? John, I understand you had a bad day. You didn't get us on our best day. You want to make it right though. Like people see like, wow, they really care. Yeah. And then the customer feels special because you actually notice because yeah. most don't, right? So I think what's really important is, I mean, I don't care what business you are today. You have to deal with reviews. Like it's part mm-hmm. of it. And one thing we try and do, if we didn't hit the mark that day on whatever it may be, um, a lot of times people just want to be hurt. So mm-hmm. our rule of thumb with our team is, Look, we don't care what happened, how bad it was. Just tell us immediately so that we can call them as soon as possible. Yeah. I think calling them right away and just and saying. you guys do. Uh, Kelly, myself, um, Steph is super good at that. You know, the, Kelly and Stephanie can call the most pissed off customer and their VIP the next day. They're incredible. <laughs> and that gets out of my wheelhouse. I don't enjoy that as much. <laughs> but um, they're really, really good. But the three of us recognized early on like it isn't going to get better tomorrow it's going to get worse and just mm. sometimes that when we first started that phone call was we were dreading it right yeah. like man i don't want to call mike mike just said we're awful human beings <laughs> but nine times out of ten you just own up to it and, you know mike you're right man we didn't hit the mark today and i'm sorry apologize and have you found that customers are kind of shocked when they either get a call from you yeah or, or st- like they'll say all the time like Oh wow! I I can't believe you guys even called me back. Mm. I mean, they're they're shocked. So that tells me that they're conditioned to a lot of business, and they just don't care. Which which shows room to dominate, 
because most businesses don't it's great. care. I hope they don't care. Yeah. Makes us better. And it, because people feel they are left, most are left to feel, and this is what I think makes TuneUp really, really unique. Because I, I, when I really peel the layers back to really figure out what is our core purpose as a brand, and it took me a bit, right? I'm a guy, I get my hair cut, but I didn't think of it in a, in a core level until it hit me one day. And I was, I think I was actually sitting in your shop when this kind of hit. It was like this epiphany moment. We're not in the haircut business. We're in the self-confidence business. Because you think about it, like you went and got your haircut, why? You want to feel a little bit more confident sitting in the chair in sitting front of a mic, video. right? Because you, you wanted to feel ready to go, right? There's, there's a thing with the self-confidence about our image. And with guys, with our, we, we don't have much to work with. Our hair is something we can work with, right? But we go in, we get our haircut, we feel good. We know we look good. We're, we're, gonna, we're less risk averse, right? And when we go to a place where we feel valued, that increases our sense of, of self-worth and value. We feel appreciated. People notice us, they know our name, they say thank you, like they're genuine about it. It changes the, the, the dynamic of what we feel about ourselves as, a, as an individual. Just, you just said something that's really important to me is a name. Mm -hmm. I don't, I tell our teams all the time, like I don't do the, the stores you walk into where you're greeted by everyone in the store with a, hey, welcome to so-and-so, thanks for coming. Without even looking at you. Without even looking <laughs> up from what they're doing. You're like, okay, I know your boss is making you say that. Mm -hmm. You would have been better just saying nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm a huge believer in, hey, Don, what's up, man? How you been? Thanks for coming in. Just a name, right? Like, Or mm -hmm. on the way out, thanking people. But people want to hear their name. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's really powerful. Do you train your staff? This is a part of the, the ethos of our stores of... You make sure to use their name as quickly as you can or acknowledge um, them when they walk in. Not formally, no. I, I wouldn't say, like, we make them do that. But, right. I mean, we'll talk about it in meetings. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it's back to the cultural thing where the people we hire, I think we look for things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, they already got it. Because some of that stuff, like, you can't make someone who may not, may not enjoy interacting with a complete stranger you can't make them super excited and happy to greet or say goodbye to somebody when they leave and call them by name, their name. That's not their skill set. It's not their strength. And so I think it's important to find the people that mesh with you and you, you don't need to teach them those. I mean, mm -hmm. we can teach people to cut hair better or do a skill better, like technically, but you can't teach people to change who they are. I mean, by the time you're, 18 years old, what do they say? You, most yeah. people don't change. Like, that's yeah. that's you. I mean, that's mm -hmm. who you're going to be for the rest of your life. So, mm -hmm. Which probably by design, which is why Ashley's chair is right there at the front. Because she pretty much acknowledges every single person that walks in. And I don't mean, uh, Ashley's amazing. Um, it's only because I take my son there all the time, right? Because uh, he, he just thinks it's cool. We've been going there, I think, since the day you opened, actually. Um, but... Uh, when you guys did your first location, which was, I believe... Metascacita. Metascacita. Yep. Um, how long before you did location two? Ooh, a month. And what? That was a whirlwind, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that close. 30 days later. <laughs> Drinking from a fire hose, man. <laughs> from none to wow. two. And then how long before uh, um, location three? Nine months later. Okay. How many more you got? I don't know. We'll see. 
The so when you look at scaling this and you, you do location one, you immediately jump into location two, um, which I guess is just how you guys are because now you have Irish twins as well. So you guys just like going all in all the time. That's right. Um, the scaling of this thing, when you look at where, when you first started, what, what is probably a couple of lessons that you've learned that went from assumption to reality uh, of how to really make this thing work? That it, you know, it takes involvement. I mean, we, mm -hmm. we met with many owners before we decided to do it and it was all across the board. Some said, yeah, I'm not involved at all. Um, some worked, like I said, in the stores and it did not take long for us to figure out that, okay, the guys or girls who said they're not involved at all, they're not here. Well, it's not a secret why. Mm -hmm. um, can you ask a question again? Sorry, I got sidetracked. Um, with doing three to four stores, what are some of the lessons that you've learned that at first you thought was, you kind of assumed some things, but then you realized practically this is how it really is to make this thing work. Involvement, so back to that. Um, just some other things. Let's move on. I don't know. That's how do you instill question. how do you instill good leadership with your managers? Treating them the way that I expect them to treat their employees. You know, giving mm -hmm. them freedom of you know, we're not naive enough to think that people don't have a life outside of work. If you need a day off, take a day off. You know, mm -hmm. we we're accountable, but at the same time human. And you know, I'm if I don't talk to you that week, it's not I don't care. It's I'm empowering you to go we've hired you, you're the right person, go run your business. Like mm -hmm. you don't even breathing down your neck. I got my own stuff to worry about. Right. Um, I, I just think like, how would I want to be treated at my corporate America job? You know, mm -hmm. I don't need a guy calling me at seven fifty five in the morning asking, okay, what are you doing for the day? Right. right. Um, and I try and empower them and let them do their thing. Mm -hmm. When you wake up in the morning, what's your routine? Oh, cause I've always found with really successful people, especially when you get really, really busy, you, you have to have some sort of routine that is consistent to give you that stability of predictability, if, if you will, to be able to handle the, the unpredictables, yeah. right? First is espresso, for sure. I'm a big, <laughs> big Nespresso guy. Um, I look forward to that every morning. Um, I'm a list guy. So okay. at any given time, I don't have my phone, but I, the note section, I'm a list guy. Mm -hmm. And I will have tons of them going at a time and prioritize. And I love checking it off. It's like mm -hmm. a satisfaction thing for me. So I'll wake up, look at my list. Okay. What do I need to do today? Um, and then I go do it and tag. So I'm, I'm a list guy. Uh, I, my list is a power five. That I create five non-negotiables that I, that I, that I complete every day. Nice. I like now that. I have others that I call they're on the radar, right? If I get my power five done, uh, then these are some others that I'm, that I'll tackle. But then also add to that list as, you know, people come with you. Hey, can you do this for me? And I write them down because I, I like the tangible. We need that. I think that tangible crossing off yeah, or checking off. Feels good, right? Like you accomplished something. 100%. Yeah. And the reason why, you know, I used to be, I, I think like most people, let me just make a list of 30 things. You never get them done. And I, I found that I, that, that list of lack of checks, even though I, let's say I got 10 things under the 30, I felt like I was always behind the ball. And I it like eats at yourself. Five, man. I'm going to steal that. Steal it, man. I like that. It, it helps your brain remain ahead versus waking up or in your day going, God, there's just, I just didn't get enough done today. No, you're talking about, you got like, let's say 10 things done may not have been all of them, but I need five non-negotiables. Now every day it changes, right? I do my list the night before, 
of what my goal is based on the things that I need, things that I need that I'm responsible for, whether it be work, home, whatever. And of course I have the power five at home too. And which is sometimes why I'm awake till 2 a.m. Because I'm I'm not gonna complete my day till my power five is done. Like that is a that's a mission for me to build self-confidence. But with with three stores, you guys both have careers, you you have kids. Is Kelly the same way? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you. I don't sleep much and it's not yeah. like I'm bored or anything. I, I, I just, I, I can't shut my brain off. I, mm. I'm always thinking like how many hours do you bed. average like a night? I mean, I was up till two last night, got up at six. So, I mean, I, I just don't sleep much because I'm always doing something. You always I, been that way. Yeah. I can't shut my brain off. Does that catch up at all to you? Um, or the, either you notice you're kind of slipping mentally or I think you could classify us as work hard, play hard where mm. we'll, we'll go a hundred miles an hour for six weeks and then take a week or two off and go recharge and then come back and go power crazy mm-hmm. for another six weeks. And so I think we're very much a work hard, play hard family. Mm-hmm. I, I think, well, I don't think I know when you go all in and you're driven, you do have to have that unplugged time because you can't just go at that momentum. You can't, do a marathon at a hundred meter sprint, you, you will peter out. Yep. You're ineffective, right? And then you start to lose your sharpness. Now, I actually just started to wean myself off of energy drinks. Because uh, even my wife is like, you're getting out of control, right? But I love I my went coffee. through the same, man. I, Did you? I was a monster guy. And yeah. I went to the doctor once. He goes, you're going to blow your heart up. So I went, <laughs> I went through the same thing. I know the pain. And yeah. I still see him in the gas station. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I, I tell you what, in the the one that I do like, uh, it's a nootropic, and it's not really designed to be an energy drink. It's more mental focus. You drink too, you you you'd think you probably just had like a half of Adderall. Like it's kind of like you kind of feel that whoosh, go in. Uh, was the Jocko Go drink actually? It, I was kind of surprised by it because I was just expecting just a run of the mill whatever, right? But I, they did that kind of by design. But even that, like I. I have to hydrate really well because I'm I'll pound coffee till noon one ish. And I even have an espresso in my office too. Yeah. Like it's go time, right? But man, it it does. I still battle sometimes the just the fatigue, the mental sharpness. Do you? How do you combat that? Because you and I are very similar, Nate. Where we yeah. drive very little sleep, we can handle a high momentum, but we still have these little these little moments, yeah. right? I mean, we definitely take time and shut down and recharge um, with little kids. Sometimes that may be uh, Friday night, turning phones off at mm-hmm. four o'clock and they go to my, my parents or her parents and we just sit and watch Netflix for mm. endless hours and mm-hmm. do nothing but mindless binge watching. Yeah. Um, but we definitely shut down. I, I, I think it's important too. I mean, I think if you do it a hundred percent all the time, like you said, you're, you're going to slip in some areas. And so, you know, I'm married. Um, when you, you've got so many irons in the fire professionally, uh, financially, there's yeah. a lot of stresses you can 24. I wish there were more, trust me. What do you guys do? Because you guys both actually do this as a team as well with, with your businesses as business owners. How do you guys practically cultivate a, a healthy 
fulfilling relationship as a couple when you have businesses and kids? Like, do you guys take, like, every couple of months, you just take a weekend together? Like, yeah. we still, I mean, I hate to sound cliche because people say this all the time, but I mean, we still date. We'll go on, mm-hmm. you know, a date. We'll take a, tri- a weekend trip somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important to put business away, have the kids go somewhere and just get back together as a couple and shut out all the noise and mm-hmm. f- truly focus a hundred percent on, you know, your spouse. When you guys did the daily, you know, you got financial issues, you got staff issues. Sometimes everything comes at you sideways. How do you guys really help the ebb and flow of, of you two as a team? Yeah. So I, I, my answer to that is strengths. She has stuff she's amazing at. Um, and so we will, we're, we talk constantly throughout the day. I mean, if we're not, you know, together, we're on the phone every hour. So checking in, okay, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You know, we're, we're constant communication on our goals and stuff or whatever that day is presenting to us. And then, you know, there's no pride in who does what, you know, that's not how we operate. Um, whoever, you know, has a better strength in that area, they usually take that task and, and knock it out. You know, it's a very much a team approach and um, there's definitely no I in our team and we're very equal on, on what we do, but um, we, we combat a two headed monster. Mm-hmm. As men and women, we, we are, our symbiotic relationship, you know, uh, my wife is one of the greatest practitioners and I can get lost in ideas and I can get lost in like one thing I'm doing. I'll get such razor sharp focus and nothing else exists. And so she has to snap me out of it, right? Babe, you need to take, take care of this. Oh, okay, I got, I got it. And then, but if I've got five other things I gotta do, I, something's gonna be forgotten. And just, I, I've noticed how my brain operates through the day. I know that I'm really good with data. Then I know when my brain starts to shift to the creative part, to more of the EQ part, more of the feel part. Have you found through your life as a business owner that you found these different times when your brain is yeah. better at different it's areas? It's so funny you say that. So if I have something where I need to creatively write something, whether it's uh, an important email or craft a message that's going out to the public for our teams or you know whatever it is, I think in, in college I could stay up and do that stuff till two or three in the morning and not lose any kind of acuity, but man, not anymore. <laughs> like my creative brain shuts off in the afternoon. Like I, I do those things first right away in the morning and I just am sharper yeah. then. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really funny you brought that up. Kelly and I just talked about that the other really? day. Like <laughs> anything like that, I just, I don't know if it's getting old or what, but I got to do it in the morning. That's when I do that stuff best. I, I, everybody's brain operates differently. There's, there's about, depending on the person, about three to four quadrants of the day where you find the most effectiveness at what you do in certain areas. I, I just, I watched my patterns of my ability to stay concentrated. Um, not necessarily ADHD. I think a lot of times we get diagnosed with that and it's incorrect. It's just our, our brains peak times in different strengths. Right. And that's right. Like in Anthony knows this too. Like I, I look at all the data, I look at all the analytics, all that up until about 11, then my brain starts to go, nope, yep. you're done. You're done. <laughs> you're done looking at cells Feel and grass, it. right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Totally. But I always have, I, I deal with uh, tinnitus really bad. And if it's quiet, it's way too loud for me. 
that can be really distracting. So I always, everybody knows I always have headphones, which is why they always walk up and scare the shit out of me all the time because I keep my door open, but I don't see it. But um, I have music going and there's also different types of music based on the different projects I have to work on to help my brain like stay in certain levels, yeah. right? Getting into the weeds here, but always I've been a, if I'm doing any kind of data or math or anything like that, I can have music. If it's something with the language arts, like crafting an email or whatever, I can't. I don't know why. Really? If it's numbers, turn them up. Great. <laughs> it, you know, it energizes me. But if it's like yeah. something to do with language arts, I just, I, got, I can't have music playing. My brain won't handle both. <laughs> Three, one track. Yeah. What was your, what was like one of your favorite bands when you were growing up? When, it, when you were listening to music? Uh, definitely Dave Matthews. Mm, I love them. Okay. Still do, but yeah. not as much anymore. Uh -huh. And my brother and I, we've probably been to 40 shows, 50 shows. Dave like Matthews? That. Yeah. No kidding. All across the country, yeah. A little bit of Dave Matthews. I never would have expected that. Yeah. Yeah. Who was probably like, a, um, and this could be family, this could be uh, somebody you don't even know. Who would be a, a big person of influence? Or you might have a couple in your life that's really been kind of that beacon for you that's been a guide whether in whatever area of your life that really has made a big impact on you touch on my parents i mean mm -hmm. that i think at the those ages you don't get that back you can't right you can't change yourself and how you were built and what values you know once you pass that age so my parents definitely were critical i think in shaping who i am I think I would look, and it's not necessarily one person, but I would look at successful people, like first person that can't comes to my mind, him and his brother own 50 Wendy's, and they're mm. from my small town, and they branched out all throughout Indiana. But to me, when I saw that, I was like, whoa, they're killing it. Like, I want that. And that's just one example, but I would... I was dr like driven to those people and I'd want to learn about them and how'd you do it? What'd you do? What did you start with? Um, I always had that curiosity from a business standpoint of what are they doing and how can I do the same thing? Mm -hmm. Now that you've come to store three and you guys are what? 30s, 40s? Yeah. I'm 47, but I'm going to turn 48. Let's roll. Let's go, man. My wife's older than me, so we're just skip past that. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. That's awesome. <laughs> um, when you look at this phase of your life right now, and uh, like I remember when I worked at McDonald's, I had I had to go pick up my uniform at the office, Hatfield Enterprises, Mr. Hatfield, and he owned several McDonald's in East Texas. And I thought he was McDonald's just naivety at that age, right? Until I realized, and I think he he owned a lot of them. Does he still? I don't know. Um, I haven't been back to my hometown in years, but uh, they were all in small towns. There, there were two in Marshall where I grew up, and then you know Carthage and Texarkana and all over the place. But I never realized what that really was as a franchise. Of course, McDonald's just had their, their youngest – franchise E at, uh, she was 20, 23. <laughs> now, that's I, impressive. How to get to that? Like, that's a pretty deep story. I want right? to know how she got there because yeah. I, 
I think, I mean, I've always heard <clears throat> you got to be. Or excuse me, Chick-fil-A. Constantly. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a little different, but still impressive. Um, the one thing about Chick-fil-A that I have a hard time with, other than them telling me I'm not religious enough. <laughs> that's a whole other, that's a whole other Weird. episode. But um, <laughs> you're not truly the owner. You're, you're the operator, and that's not mm. what we wanted. You know, we want mm. the reason we got into all this is that we could call it ours, and you know, they, they Chick Fil A still owns. You're, mm-hmm. it, to my knowledge, now if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. you know, correct me. But I'm pretty sure that you're just the owner, and you're the manager of that store. You're not truly the owner, and that kind of bothered me. Like I was like, yeah, you know, I, I want something we can call ours. Because you and Kelly had kind of thrown around the idea of, of doing a business, but what was the appeal to uh, for people that are that are watching that are maybe in that in that place? They want to do something, but they don't know what to do. Some start their own brand; others, you buy into a brand, then become an owner as a franchisee. Uh, what led you to get into kind of a, a turnkey, if you will, for lack of a better term, franchise model versus starting your own? Well, number one, I think no matter what you do, whether it's your own thing or franchise, you got to be passionate about it. And so we, we wanted something that we knew every day we could wake up and it, a lot of times what you're doing, it's not fun, but you have to <laughs> still be passionate about it and enjoy yeah. the actual, like, what are you doing every day? And, you know, and that's huge. I'm passionate right about there, yeah. customer service and, and taking care of customers and um, just the hair industry. I, I love it. And so, Number one, I think you got to be passionate. If you can't start something that you're just like, ah, eh, that's kind of boring because you're not mm-hmm. going to be very good at it and you're not going to put the time in that it takes. You're not going to want to grow it, right? Right. Um, what was the second part of that? Just lost me. Yeah, me too. I forgot. Okay, so if I were to go into any one of your stores, is there a phrase that everybody knows Nate says all the time? <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm colorful with language sometimes, probably, <laughs> but it's from a good spot. Not that I'm like, <laughs> I can be colorful. I'll just leave that. Like, okay. sometimes my emotions, man, get going and I just, mm. you know, yeah, probably colorful language. In my <laughs> when you're frustrated? No, happy. Frustrated, happy, all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm a, not shy with, yeah. I don't know. I just, I think do you, you find some people find that yourself. off-putting or do they get it that they understand? You got to know where you're at, right? Like, I'm not right. saying like I go to work every day in corporate America <laughs> slinging <laughs> F-bombs, but yeah. <laughs> I think it. F yeah, with a high five doesn't go too, too no. well with the stiffs, right? No. <laughs> um, you just got to know your, your audience, but I think used appropriately, it's totally fine and normal. When you were looking at different, I'm sure you did discoveries of different franchise brands and franchisors and stuff. Uh, Cause I remember the first time I came here to HQ uh, distinct difference. And I, I've had my own ventures and, you know, served clients that had their own own companies and it's just very different cultures right now walking in everybody's in jeans and a t-shirt and right. I mean, it, it's a very uh, your effectiveness doesn't come from what you wear. Right. Uh, that was one of the things that left an impression on me. What was that like when you were doing your discovery and you ended up meeting corporate, meeting Anthony? Same. And, yeah, yeah, same. I mean, it's not stuffy at all. And like I can vibe with this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I deal with that every day. 
with my real job. I don't. Because you, you wear scrubs a lot, right? Yeah. Um, before COVID, it seems like a long time ago, but <laughs> we're not really in that right now. But mm-hmm. but yeah, with normal life scrubs suits depending on meetings. But um, you hit it on the head. I mean, it's relaxed here. You yeah. don't ever feel like oh, I'm going to corporate today. I got to yeah. throw on a tie. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, most people doing this with you guys, it's not their primary focus. It's not right. their primary job. You know, they're, they have other things. And so people are not going to, this is voluntary. It's not, you know, something most people don't get into this because they have to have this job. Right. They're doing it because they want something fun or they want yeah. an investment. And people aren't going to do it if it's, if it's painful. Yeah. And looking ahead for your family, for you, what do you do for yourself to keep you kind of at a, a prepared level of preparedness, mental sharpness, emotionally there? Like, what does Nate do for himself? May not happen often because clearly your time is so limited. But what do you do? What What are a couple of things that maybe you have to do for you to just to take care of Nate? Yeah, I love the ocean. Really, I'm intrigued. Like the ocean. you have a boat, right? Yeah. Um. The ocean is just, to me, it's like an undiscovered planet, but it's right here for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just like deep sea fishing, or just I going love to the beach deep sea fishing, really? scuba diving. Like, mm. if I could quit work tomorrow, I would leave the United States, go to a small island, and just be like a little island island rat man. <laughs> really? Totally, I wouldn't need a cell phone. I wouldn't need a computer. Mm. Reminds me of Paul Rudd in um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Did you see that movie? And uh, he's that character that has a little little hut on the beach with the surfboards yep. and he changes his name. And like, I just got this vision of that being you, Nate. <laughs> if I could, I would. Yeah. If I, if I won the lottery tomorrow, it'd be see a phone, corporate America, bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Buying a big boat and going in the Caribbean. Your, your success in your stores with how you communicate is one of the reasons why you're probably very successful in sales. Uh, in people in sales, what do you what do you think is a is something that you've learned to be effective as a closer uh, that has allowed you to really reach a pretty high level of success in your career? Yeah, for one, if you go in spitting whatever product you have, just leave. Like you, you got to listen and fully understand your customer first. Like they want to know like you're truly a consultant to them and you're there to help. Um, so number one, you got to listen. There's a phrase my wife and I use all the time like if you're talking you're not listening um so when we go in you know i try and really remember that and truly listen to what their needs are and you may sell them something today but if you're doing it for the wrong reasons you're not going to sell them something in two years you get one shot i think follow-up's key there's so many people in my industry that will show up one day sell them and then the next day they're gone Hit it, and quit it that is yeah you know, quickest way to, to yeah. not have longevity. I think honesty and, and doing it for the right reasons and, and just following up, like, it's weird. I haven't had my phone for the last hour, but if my phone rings, I answer it. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. I had a, a boss one time and he kind of, when I first started Striker, we would be in a meeting and I don't care who it was, he answered the phone. Mm-hmm. And I think in today's world, like, with prompts and press this and that, like, Half the battles, people just want you to pick up your phone. Huge. I mean, just help them. They're mm-hmm. not calling. I mean, and assuming it's not a prank call or robocall or whatever, but I mean, when people are calling you, 
if it's your customer, mm-hmm. pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. You drop a, he would tell us, and we could be in a, a really important meeting, but if it's a customer, we're stopping, and you're picking up your phone, you can go outside and take care of them. That's first and foremost. Mm. Is there, has there been a sales program, uh, uh, like a sales mentor, somebody that you've, that you've uh, gleaned some really good nuggets from in the sales career? There's a lot of sales yeah, that, that's mentors. And so my philosophy on that, uh, everywhere, I've, everywhere I have worked has their flavor mm-hmm. on that. And it may be, uh, there's a challenger sales model Medtronic had. I mean, mm-hmm. every company has their own, like where I'm at now, they use a company called Richardson. Instead of like picking one and trying to do it perfectly, as they say, mm-hmm. what I always try and do is pick three things like forget all the noise. Cause those things can be noisy. Yeah. Like, a lot of noise, a lot of noise. And so I, I will challenge myself when we're doing a sales training, just pick three things. That's it. Mm-hmm. Forget all the rest of the stuff. Cause you're not going to remember it anyways. Yeah. Pick three nuggets. And if you put them all together, yeah. I think that's the best sales approach is none of them have it perfectly figured out. or right. right. Yeah. So I just try and pick the three that I can mesh into my strengths and, you know, back to the, we can always get better. I enjoy those, even though some of them can be painful, but there's, you never leave saying I learned nothing, right? Like mm-hmm. you can always learn something. Yeah. Uh, there was a book I read called sales dogs by getting Blair Sinclair. Uh, I actually I read them. ran across him. Uh, oh my gosh. It was at a Robert Kiyosaki event. Right. And uh, he had a little breakout session and I went and bought his book. And it talked about the 14 different personality types and how they apply to being in sales because you can't be like a data head and try to sell like the girl, like the guy that is all about sports teams, right? It's just, it's, you're going against the grain of who you are. So you have to lean in on your strengths of who you really are and learn how to maximize that in communication, mm-hmm. right? Because every customer, whatever you're doing is going to have by listening to figuring out what their cues are, what their needs are, to know how to take how, what's important to you, how you communicate and make that work, right? Yeah. But it was, it was an enlightening moment because every sales expert talks about kind of this one mold. And Blair talked about not the mold, but take what that is, but use it with your personality type, with the way your brain works, yep. right? Spot on. I, I don't believe there is one mold at all for that. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I was just trying kind of mesh them all together. Yeah. If if there was a takeaway for anybody that has a career is interested in maybe doing their own business, uh, you know, a significant side hustle. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, what would be a piece of advice that you would give them? Jump. Do it. Mm. That's the first time I've ever heard somebody say that. I see a lot of people like (laughs) want to do something. And I, I, I think if I, you know, look at people who say, man, I wish I did that or, they're always talking about it. Like, you, do you know someone that is always talking about like something, but they never actually do it. And it's like, mm-hmm. man, if you would have done it the first time you said it, think about where you'd be now. And I think people have a fear of like going out and failing. And I just, but I, I think that's it. the part that they, like, they don't realize is failing is part of it. Yeah. You have to be willing to fail or else you can't really enjoy the success that comes from learning. Cause it's, it's a lesson, right? I, I remember I was speaking at this event and uh, I literally tripped going up on stage. 
fell flat on my face, right? Echoed, the mic was hot, said an expletive, my bad. But it, it was kind of that testament because I had tripped and fallen when I was about, I was about 19 years old. And I was working at McDonald's in the morning, working at a cabinet factory at night, seven days a week. Had no car, walking home. And I just, I lost, I lost my shit. Like, where am I headed in life? Because this is not it. Smell like a French fry during the day, smell like polyurethane at night. Like, this was not my vision of life, you know? And I, but I realized when I fell, I fell forward. It's still not that bad. Yep. Right? You just, it, what is it, the, the Rocky quote, it, it, you know, it's not uh, how hard you get hit, but it's about getting back up, right? You know, knock down seven, get back, get back eight. But the failure element is the one thing that really scares the living crap out of people. Because I think they feel as though it unveils a level of lack of capability when that's the very thing you need to uncover what you have to work on. Yeah. And I don't know where we were preconditioned to feel like failure was yeah. a bad thing. Feel vulnerable. Yeah. So how did know. you overcome it? I told you I love projects, man. And I, I'm not afraid to, for one thing, I'm a nerd. I love to learn. I love to read. I'll tell you, I, I think back to before Google and I can't imagine my life with it now. Like if I hear something on the radio or TV or someone says something like, I have no shame in my game to be like, I have no idea what that is, mm. but I want to learn about it. I'm a mm -hmm. huge YouTuber. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you I, I love YouTube. Like, <laughs> I yeah. enjoy finding things in the world that yesterday I didn't know how to do. And I self-taught myself like it's just fun. Like I enjoy that. So I'm a huge nerd. I love taking risks and learning. There's a lady that my wife follows. This lady literally learned how to build a house herself from YouTube. You can. <laughs> yeah. Mind blowing, man. But I, I, and I think in, uh, correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, but what I've believed to, to, to be true in my life, what I found in others is truly successful people. It's not from a lack of resources, from a lack of being resourceful. It's not having the resourcefulness within yourself to dig in, put in the effort, put in the time, be up till 4 a.m., yeah. watching videos, doing webinars, figuring your shit out. Because I've always found that in, as an athlete, cyclist and triathlete, it's very binary. You either put in the work, you don't, right? Actions are the separator. You can talk about what you think you want to do. You can daydream. You can get caught up in overthinking things. But it comes down to doing it. Yeah. Like you said, jump. Go for it. Because, I mean, you, you and Kelly probably could have gone over and around and around different ideas and different concepts and... Well, you can, and it's like with anything else, you can find reasons why it may not work. Well, there's three competitors in the area. Uh, I don't know. I mean, but at some point, either decide or don't. But mm. there's always going to be reasons not to do something, right? But you only need one, and that's a belief in yourself. Yep. Nate, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Guys, thanks for, thanks for tuning in to 100% Tilted Discussions with Winning Underdogs. <laughs> If anybody wants to get a hold of you, where can they probably find you? Probably getting your haircut in a chair, hang out at the bar. Yeah. Tune up. Yeah. Omal, Texas at, at Tascacita and Valley Ranch. You'll find Nate and Kelly Bartlett hanging out. Building dreams. Thank you. Thank you, brother.